Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for Reformation Sunday, October 31st, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read our New Testament lesson for this morning. The sermon text for Reformation Sunday comes from Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. can be found in your pew Bible on page 1928 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are many questions a person can ask if they want to begin the process of thinking about the Reformation. What was it about? Why was it necessary? Did it work? Why is Pastor Jason on this weird crusade to move Reformation Sunday to June 25th? All of these things, except maybe the last one, matter. But whatever case it might be, I think these two verses from Revelation 14 do an excellent job of answering two important questions about the Reformation. How does God speak... And when he speaks, what does God say? In fact, I think these two questions are central to understanding the entire point of the Reformation. The first question addresses the errors of the radical Reformation. Those individuals who misunderstood what Luther and his associates were doing took the ball and ran way too far out of bounds with the break from the Roman Catholic Church. The second question addresses the heart and soul of what Luther objected to about Roman Catholic teaching. And so, with this in mind, we turn ourselves back to Revelation 14 and the Word of God, and the first truth we learn, the first question is answered this way. God speaks through a messenger. Listen to the words of John. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. The fact that an angel is speaking and speaking the gospel message, or more specifically, speaking the word of God is highly significant. Now, one of the very first lessons I learned as a pastor, in fact, I learned this in seminary, is that people today are desperate to hear God speak. 
I had experienced this in my own life as I sought after God's direction over and over and over again. And in fact, it was one of the very first pastoral crises in ministry that I encountered on internship out in California. We all want God to speak to us because we all want to hear his voice. And hopefully because we want to be led along the way of our life. And it becomes a major crisis for each one of us when we don't think we can hear God speaking. When God doesn't respond to our prayers and our requests. And ultimately when we deceive ourselves into believing God has stopped caring or that he's intentionally ignoring us. And all this comes about because we're looking for, or rather, we're listening for God in all the wrong places. This is a direct result of the radical reformation. There was a strain of theologians during Luther's time that wanted to move completely away from the historic church altogether. They were almost obsessed with starting a new movement. They wanted to do something different for difference's sake. Part of this flowed from the belief that God spoke directly to his children. Apart from his word, often in addition to his word, but especially apart from the church. Luther, in addressing these individuals in the small called articles, labeled them enthusiasts, or, or more specifically, in German, he used the word schwarmer. And I say that only one because it sounds cool, and two because the word schwarmer in German is taken for the German description for the buzzing of bees. I love that. That is vintage Luther right there. So, well, apparently, and maybe I'm getting this wrong because I don't understand the German language altogether. In English, bees go bzz, bzz, bzz. Apparently, in German, they go schwarmer, 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 which is terrifying and consistent with the German language altogether. But, but what Luther was doing was equating this nonsense of God speaking apart from his word directly to his children with the sin of Adam and Eve. And in Luther's mind, in the mind of Scripture, and in the mind of the church for ages and ages, Adam and Eve's sin boiled down to replacing God's word with our own desires and our own opinions. Now fast forward 500 years to our modern day, and enthusiasm dominates the modern American church. Everyone in the church in America today is still desperate to hear God speak. But we don't want to open our Bibles. This is a dead word. This is a written word. We want God to lead us by his voice. We want God to lead us through random coincidence, by emotional prompting, or even in conformity with the culture around us. We don't have time or patience to hear the Word of God preached, or the Word of God read, or the Word of God studied and spoken. But all this runs contrary to what we see developing here in Revelation 14. God 
sends his messenger. That's literally what the word angel means in Scripture. It means messenger. And this messenger speaks the word of God, the very words of the gospel, but he speaks it too. And listen to this. Every nation and tribe and language and people, all those who dwell on the earth. And in this description is the key for why we in the church today must reject the enthusiasts. Because if God were to primarily speak into your mind or to lead based on the random coincidences in your life, or to be dependent on your emotional promptings, this word is only for you and no one else. And what we've done here in America, I can't speak for the churches in Europe or Africa or Asia or South America, but what we've done here in America is we've created a Christianity that's only valid for the here and now. American Christianity wouldn't make any sense to someone in a foreign nation, and American Christianity wouldn't make any sense to someone living at a different time. But the Reformation emphasis on the gospel is that God's word, Christ on the cross, in your place, for the forgiveness of your sins, and Christ raised from the dead, this is a message for all tribes and tongues and people and nations at all time. It is a universally preached message, universally available to all at all times. God speaks his word, his external word, through a messenger to you. The second truth of the Reformation answers the second question. When God speaks, what does he say? Here's the message of the angel in Revelation. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I believe part of why so many reject the external word of God in favor of direct internal promptings is that God's word rarely says what we want it to say and rarely deals with us in the way we want it to. The message from the angel begins with these words, fear God. And here's the problem with that. We are totally okay with others fearing God. We want others' behavior to be reined in and checked. But when it comes to us, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our behavior, we want God to be loving, to be soft around the edges, to be warm and fuzzy and cuddly. More often than not, we want God to be a grandfather. Now, to be sure... God indeed is our loving Father. He is wise beyond belief, and He is tender and patient with those who cry out to Him for mercy. But God is also the almighty, all-powerful, holy, perfect Lord of the entire universe, and He is not to be trifled with. 
God's holiness offends our sensibilities because when we encounter God's holiness and when we encounter his perfection, we're reminded that we are not holy and that we are not perfect. If we actually take time to wrestle with the existence of God, we're automatically forced to wrestle with the existence of our own sin. And this makes the second part of the angel's message even more troubling. The hour of judgment has come. We might not want a holy God. Maybe we do, but probably not. But I can say with almost absolute certainty, certainty that we definitely do not want a judgy God. I'm convinced that the notion and fear that we will be held accountable for and judged for our sin is what leads people away from the faith. If God is the great cosmic judge of all the universe, if he knows and sees all, and he is and he does, we are sunk. And so we respond. First, we try to change God's identity. But when we don't find him to be warm and fuzzy and cuddly, we try to change God's word. Did God actually say? Sound familiar? And when we can't change God's word, our last resort in our sin is to try to change God's existence, to attempt to write him out of the equation altogether. And yet God himself has prepared for that reality and has told us in his word, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. God exists. And he does know. And he does judge and condemn our sin. In fact, by our own standards of justice, which are imperfect at best, God wouldn't be perfect, and he wouldn't be holy, and he wouldn't be God if he failed to judge sin. If a judge let a known criminal off the hook, the way of the world today is to riot. And yet we expect God to do that with our sins on an almost daily basis. This is the crisis point for almost every single person. Those who can't reconcile this reality almost always end up walking away from the faith. But some, reaching this moment of panic, cry out to God in desperation for his mercy. And it is precisely here that it's important to see the lifeline that God leaves us in the angel's message. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. We're left with the question, if we're reading the text with eyes wide open, why on earth would we worship the God who is on the cusp of condemning us all to eternity apart from him because of our sin? Why would that be the natural outcome? Can you imagine in your sin being declared guilty by God for your sin and then responding, well, praise be to God... Our minds don't work that way. That means there's something else going on here. And it's right at this moment that God delivers us to the point of the angel's message. The good news of the gospel. The good news is that God does judge sin. That God does condemn sin. But in his grace, 
And in his mercy, he has sent us his son, Jesus Christ, and God has judged our sin, and God has condemned our sin as if it's Jesus' own sin. God has punished Christ instead of you. God has put Christ on the cross and Christ has grasped your sin and made it his own. In exchange for that, Christ has given you all of his righteousness. Now some in history, and rightfully so to an extent, have preached the good news of the gospel as if it is God stooping down, looking at you and saying, not guilty. That is entirely true. God has, in fact, judged you to be not guilty of all your sins. Because, in fact, Christ is guilty of all your sins. But there's another aspect of the gospel that we miss in God's judgment. God has also judged you right now to be perfectly righteous. To be perfectly holy to have completed the law in every extent that it demands completion. Now think of that right now, what that means. God himself has said, you are perfectly righteous. And I know that each one of you in your minds right now is thinking of a sin. Well, no, not me. I did that thing. Or I said that thing. Or I thought that thought. But no, that's not what God says. That's not the truth in the reality of reformation. The truth in the reality is that right now, right here, because of the shed blood of Christ and because of his resurrection, you are completely righteous. That thing nagging at you in the back of your mind, that guilt that squeezes on your heart, and that kicks your spirit right in the head. That is Christ's, not yours. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. And the whole point of this New Testament lesson then is that each and every week, regularly and often, God sends you a messenger to speak his word into your mind, into your heart. And that word is the word of the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. You are perfectly righteous. Jesus Christ himself died in your place and rose again to give you victory over sin and death and the devil. That is his message. Any other word will fail you. The coincidences and random eternal promptings will eventually dry up or lead you astray. And you certainly cannot earn God's approval by your good deeds. But the glorious truth of Scripture recovered for us, thanks be to God in the Reformation, is that the angel's message of the gospel is available to you. It is a word from God to you. 
And this word is your life and your salvation and your eternity. And it is a word that God himself will never, ever stop delivering to you. That's the glorious reality of the gospel and the promise of God to you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.